You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Lion King. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. Take your place in the circle of life. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Lion King, the 2019 version, and the story is as follows. Simba idolizes his father, King Mufasa, and takes to heart his own royal destiny on the plains of Africa. But not everyone in the kingdom celebrates the new cub's arrival. Scar, Mufasa's brother, and former heir to the throne, has plans of his own. The battle for Pride Rock soon ravaged with betrayal, tragedy, and drama, ultimately resulting in Simba's exile. Now, with the help from a curious pair of newfound friends, Simba must figure out how to grow up and take back what is rightfully his. The film is starring Donald Glover, Seth Rogen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Alfred Woodard, Billy Eichner, John Canney, John Oliver, Beyonce Knowles-Carter, and James Earl Jones. It is directed by John Favreau and written by Jeff Napinson. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Cody Derricks. Oh, hi there. Oh, I just can't wait to trash this. Did you write that? <laughs> not exactly. No, listen, I'm in all seriousness, I'm not here to necessarily trash this movie, okay? But we will. <laughs> I, I don't know because, I, you know, listen, the 1994 Lion King for me is top 10 in my favorite films of all time. It's by far my favorite animated film ever made. And there's something really special about it for me because I don't know if this is necessarily true. Probably not. But in my memory, in my own life, it is my oldest recollection of seeing a movie in a movie theater. I can't think of anything that came before The Lion King. So, as a cinephile, this movie holds such a dear place in my heart. So when I found out that they were going to be remaking this film with the same techniques that Jon Favreau used in The Jungle Book, which I quite liked, by the way, at first I was very, very excited about this. A little hesitant, 
but mostly excited. And then when we saw the first teaser trailer, I think you all remember, I, I, actually I think it was around, what was it, Super Bowl time? I wanna say? Yeah, I think it was. I think so. It was a pretty, pretty big deal, and the internet went nuts, and we were all like, wow, look at these special effects. This is going to be incredible. Hans Zimmer's music, oh, oh my gosh. Now we finally have the finished product, and we see it for what it is. And we just did this whole podcast recently, episode 151 on Disney animated remakes uh, into live action format. So we've expressed a lot of our thoughts there. Now we're going to apply this to The Lion King and see if we came out positive or negative. My guts tell me it's probably negative, but let's get down and dirty with it. Josh, I'm going to throw it to you first. What did you think? of the 2019 photorealistic live action animated who gives a shit version of the Lion King. <laughs> well, well first of all, I think I would say going into this film, I was not actually anticipating it very much. I am not really somebody that really gets into these Disney live action remakes. I feel like most of them have been pretty underwhelming and haven't been very good. But when they announced the Lion King, I just really thought, like, what else could they really do with this material? Because there's no live action component to it. So I figured that it would just basically be remaking the original animation. But that's really the only thing that you could do. And when I finally saw this movie, I felt like that was pretty much it. And I, I'll say this about this new Lion King. The animation is definitely stunning. Like the technology that they're showcasing gives you a really great sense of the imagery and all of that is excellent. But the problem is that that's really the only innovative thing you have in this film. And so much of it is existing to try to remind you of the original movie that it just feels so empty to me. And even the parts that I was sort of enjoying in the film is all based on my memories of the original movie. And I think this is a film that adds really nothing to the original story. And I kind of walked out feeling it was pretty, but a complete waste of time. So there are certain elements to admire, certainly from a technical perspective, but I really don't think this movie offers anything truly that you can't just get by watching the original film. Well, Josh, to that, I have one thing to say. Hakuna Matata, right? If only it had been that simple. <laughs> if only. Cody, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, uh, okay. So I also, <laughs> I know for a fact that this was the very first movie, the original was the very first movie I ever saw in theaters. And I wore, I literally wore out the VHS tape as a kid. And so you could say I have an affection at the very least for um, this uh, movie that's based on. And I, uh, I've been hesitant but not hateful <laughs> towards the concept of the live-action remake. But at the same time, uh, when this one was announced, similarly to what Josh just said, I, don't, I didn't know what more they could do with it that the original didn't already do. Because in the, you know, it, in the Beauty and the Beast remake, for example, as much as I didn't quite enjoy that, there's at least interesting things you can do with the casting. And, I mean live action costumes are different to look at i don't know but with this it's just an animated movie and to that end there was no uh inspiration in the actual animation 
it's pretty to look at in terms of being really real realistic, I guess. But like, so is I don't know a good video game. It that does not constitute a reason enough to make a full blown movie out of this. And every single shot that is mirroring the original or trying to be the original is just lacking in comparison and also just lacking in its own self. It's not just a bad comparison. It's a bad movie in its own right. Can we can we clear the air with something here and just say for the record that the visuals are absolutely stunning and gorgeous at times and there's really no denying that? Absolutely. They are well made, sure. <laughs> because when the film opens, I think the best sequence in the whole movie is the opening, the circle of life number. Because... It's all visuals, it's Hans Zimmer's familiar score, and the iconic song. And that opening, I mean, just with the pullout shot, and then, you know, the boom, the Lion King title comes up on the screen, I had goosebumps. I even had tears welling up in my eyes a little bit because of the nostalgia and just the power that that still holds over me in so many ways. And then the film got to a point where Next thing you know, we see the mouse and Scar gets introduced and his whole life's not fair, is it? And it's like all of a sudden I'm starting to get the sense that the dialogue, while it does diverge at times from the 1994 animated film, it's pretty much beat for beat, line for line, exactly the same. Oh, it is. Yeah. With a few differentiations here and there. Exactly. But to your point, though, about beating the beast... There were some elements that were added into that live action version because it was live action and the runtime needs to be extended. And what you can do in animation, you can't necessarily do beat for beat in live action. You have to add certain things into it. It's two different uh, formats of the medium of film. This is, instead of hand-drawn animation, CGI animation. So let's call a spade a spade here. This is still an animated film. It just looks really, really good. <laughs> it, what was that short that Pixar did with the bird that was like the most oh, photorealistic Piper. looking thing ever? Piper. Yes, Piper. This was like that, only feature length. And there's, there's a, oh man, there's, oh God, I'm already getting distressed over this. Like I'm getting stressed out. <laughs> um, there's a lot of issues that come along with that. And I think we talked about this a lot on the last podcast because prior uh, – I had seen this movie a, a little while ago. And so um, when we talked about live-action remakes on our last uh, main episode, I already had seen The Lion King and was going into a lot of different points here. This movie – and I'll bring this point up again – reminds me a lot of the Peter Cushing scenes in Star Wars Rogue One and how – there is a disconnect subconsciously that our brains do when we're seeing something on screen that the filmmakers want us to believe is so real, but we know it is not. We absolutely know for a fact that it is not. And because of that, and because there's absolutely no like live action component in this movie, there is no human character like in The Jungle Book or you know live actors, like you said, in Beauty and the Beast, to kind of create that subconscious connection for us as an audience, there is an emotional disconnect. Coupled along with the stuff that I really, really thought this movie could pull us in with that they could have retained from the 1994 original, such as 
Mufasa's death. Or I was even thinking of like things like when the hyenas like yell out to Simba, yeah, that kid, if you come back, we'll kill ya. You know, and it's like that moment is just like so powerful and awesome. And I don't know, they either don't do these moments or when they do do them, they're like something something was just not clicking it's super muted it's it's a combination of trying to be realistic while maintain a human level of emotion and that just cognitively does not work and, and you know how they talk about like the uncanny valley like the reason why the stuff like the peter cushing scenes in rogue one don't work because how hard it is to replicate like a human face in this they are foregoing all of the cartoonish elements that would make this somewhat fun and make the animals more expressive and give them more personality. And instead they all just come across as bland and wooden at times. Well, they're wanting to create realistic depictions of these animals and they do a good job at that. But the trade-off that you get is that you have animals that can't emote. And so you have these sequences where there's supposed to be these big emotions happening and the facial expressions are just not there. You can't really get that from any of these characters in the movie. And because they're also realistic looking animals, like all the lions look the same to me. Like that scene where oh, yeah. Simba looks into the pool and he's supposed to transform his image into Mufasa. Like it just looked like the same lion to me. So right. that emotional impact throughout much of this movie just isn't there because of their decision to make this really photorealistic, you lose that very important emotional connection to this story. Yeah, to your point, I had trouble distinguishing the hyenas um, 70% of the way through the movie. Like, that should not mm -hmm. be how your movie works. I should not be able to tell or have trouble telling which character is which character. Yeah, I agree. You know, we had uh, the hyenas played by Keegan-Michael Key, Eric Andre, and uh, Florence Kasumba. And I have to say that those characters, Zazu, played by John Oliver, and Timon and Pumbaa, played by Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen, in my opinion, were highlights amongst this new cast because I got the sense while watching them on screen, especially like John Oliver and uh, Billy Eichner, they were bringing a lot of energy to their voiceover performances that translated into the animation. Like, Billy Eichner's Timon probably is the least realistic of all of the animal depictions precisely because of the energy that he's bringing to that voiceover performance. You have to animate him a certain way to match that. Does it, like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, I, I would exactly. say, yeah, I would say that Billy Eichner, to me, is the one performer understands that, you know, maybe the animations of this character aren't going to necessarily be to the fullest that it can be all the time in terms of expression. And he really does bring a lot to the role. I, I think out of everybody, I enjoyed him the most. I actually don't know if I would necessarily agree about John Oliver, though. And maybe this is just because I do watch Last Week Tonight a lot. And every time he spoke, I just heard his like hysterical rantings behind that desk. And it kind of pulled me out a little bit. Well, I they, think they, do, they do play into that, you know, yeah. when he's giving like the news report to Mufasa and such, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe it, it might be just a personal thing for me. I like John Oliver, but I, I don't know. His voice kind of felt a bit distracting to me in this film. 
And I, I gotta say though, while Billy Eichner's Timon was appropriately expressive based on his vocal performance, at the same time, I felt like <laughs> existential stress watching the poor young voice actor play Baby Simba emoting and crying and doing a really good job when Mufasa dies and the actual animated face of the character of Simba is doing nothing. Yes. Oh my God. Really that... almost frightening because it, it just is something in your brain is telling you this is not right. It's like you said, it's uncanny. Yep. Oh yeah. And I mean, especially like that scene in particular is a really important one for me because like probably everybody in the audience who had seen the original film that moment happens and you're already like getting worked up because you know the emotions are going to be high. And I'll admit, even I was just thinking about the original film again. It's like, oh, there's that really big moment when Mufasa dies. It's going to be so emotional and I'm just remembering it. And then you cut to Simba's face and it's a blank lion cub expression. And all that emotion that you've already put into this scene just from remembering a 25-year-old movie is now just suddenly dissipated because the characters that they have in this film and attempt to be photorealistic cannot carry any kind of like internal emotion to express. And that is a huge problem for this movie. This also translates into the musical numbers too. Yeah. Like the musical numbers that they have retained for this version are nowhere near as fun as the original Precisely because it is so steeped within reality. Like, I understand what Favreau was going for with this. I I, I totally get it. But I don't think that if that were the case, I think that what would have been maybe a better choice would have been to exercise uh, some of these more cartoonish songs like Hakuna Matata or even Be Prepared. Because what we're presented with instead just feels so much Less, I don't want to use the term less expressive again, but that, but both in a fun sense and in a meaningful symbolic sense, uh, because there's some visuals that you cannot quite capture the same way if you're kind of trying to go for that realistic approach. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of seemed like they were almost embarrassed at the the necessity of having to include these musical numbers because they don't work with the. Um, the reason for being of the movie, which is to be as realistic as possible. And I mean, to that point, every single musical number had a formula. It was one or two characters in the, in terms of the blocking, one or two characters would start singing a bunch of other animals would start joining them slowly. And at the end, they'd all be a mass of animals and then they would scatter. There were like three numbers in the, in the movie that follow that exact same pattern. And just can't wait to be King was extremely boring for a number that Mm -hmm. is jubilant and fun in the original i mean in the original it's already an unrealistic hand-drawn style but then they go even more unrealistic with the colors and shading in that number and it just accentuates the fun of the song and this movie completely ignores that and the worst moment is be prepared yes Oh God! I, oh, it was a joke. I I turned to my boyfriend I was watching this with, and I kind of gave him a look, like, "Really? That was it? It was a joke." It, it, yeah. Wait, wait. I want to just say for the record, but and then we'll go back to be prepared in just a second. I just want to say too, in terms of like the moment, because I think we all maybe had this. The moment that I thought was the biggest joke of all was when <laughs> when Mufasa dies and Simba's no that he says like, "Kid Simba's like no." When they did the pull out. Shot for shot, exactly like the 1994 from Simba screaming no. I looked over at my friend who was sitting next to me while watching this, and I just looked over and was like, 
But it wasn't even exactly shot for shot. There was a different like length of time to the actual pullout. And I mean, that sounds very nitpicky, but it makes a difference. It do- well, here's the problem. <laughs> Let's go back to be prepared, and I'll say I'll, I'll yeah, say yeah, what yeah. I think the real problem is there, because I think this also kind of ties into be prepared a little bit. Um, I will say for the record that I think that the voiceover performance from Jeremy Irons as Scar in the original, hell, almost every single one of the voiceover performances in 1994 original are pretty much iconic and can never, ever be topped. Other than the Be Prepared segment, though, I kind of like what Chiwetel Ejiofor was going for in his voiceover performance as Scar. He wasn't trying to do Jeremy Irons. It seemed like he was going more for this tragic, dark, Shakespearean quality that I got the sense that, and I blame this on Favreau, I got the sense that like nobody else got the memo on that. But had they, and they were all kind of playing into that, I think I could have enjoyed this a little bit more. But what Chiwetel was doing, I, I kind of liked it. I didn't think he was bad. I, I will say that he definitely is playing it in a tone that is very different than what Jeremy Irons was doing. And for that, I did kind of appreciate it i do think though that once again the way that scar is animated it doesn't really give it doesn't really help him very much with his performance and because he is playing it so kind of in a lower tone and much more lower key than what jeremy irons was doing it still comes across as not bland or wooden but just very uninteresting to me and when there are moments where Scar has to be a little bit more animated, it just never comes across because he still looks like the bland lion, like every other bland lion in this movie. And that was still something that I was missing. And I'm sorry, but I really do have to talk about be prepared more and how just yeah, yeah, much sure. of an utter failing that is. I miss the flamboyancy of that character in this version so much. Oh, absolutely. And that is... I miss Be Prepared being a song. (laughs) It was a TED Talk. And, like, honestly, Be be Prepared, I don't know what everybody else's opinions are, but to me, might very well be the best Disney villain song that's ever been written. Oh, oh, I think it probably is. I mean, that is one of my favorite songs delivered by one of my favorite uh, Disney villains. And they just... I get that they wanted to do something different, but the route they chose to go with it is just basically unforgivable to me. I, I hated that moment so, so much. Now, do you guys remember the rumor a few months ago that they had cut Be Prepared? Yes. So, and then they they, they backtracked saying, no, 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 it's in there. Maybe this is a conspiracy. But this kind of read as like, oh, shit, the people really want Be Prepared. We got to do something. And they kind of shoehorned this in. I don't know if that's actually what happened or if the the original message was it wasn't cut it was just changed it was cut down either way it's a complete bungling of the situation no i agree i would have preferred them to have just excised it completely (laughs) you know what change i did like uh because my friend i watched this with he was saying to me throughout this movie will be redeemed if they have the uh the timon song where uh he's like wow and <laughs> and he does the, the dance with Pumbaa. Oh, the dress up and drag and do the hula yes that part exactly and i said to him i don't think we're gonna get it because they seem to be playing this so serious right now and that was originally an improvisation from nathan lane like it yeah. wasn't part of the original script and they added it in so 
when that moment came and instead they did a Beauty and the Beast joke for Be Our Guest, I have to say, I actually genuinely thought that that was pretty clever and actually really funny. And I genuinely did like that. I liked, I liked, I liked the, um, uh, you know, uh, so the song they sang, you know, in the jungle, the mighty jungle, lion sleep, the lion sleeps tonight. That's the name of the song. <laughs> a common theme here is that pretty much everything with Timon and Pumbaa I liked because those were the moments in the movie where I actually was having fun, and it harkened back to what I like so much about the 1994 film is that it is continuously fun throughout, even though it gets dark at times. There's a great balance there. Right, because this one is, for the most part, kind of boring, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And there were times while I was watching it where I thought to myself, because this is all done in camera, and I don't know exactly how this was shot necessarily, if there was any component to them shooting something on a stage. But the camera there movements... Wasn't. There was apparently every single moment of this, except for one shot, was completely realized in the computer without any sort of reference. Okay, because... To me, there were a lot of moments with the camera, especially, where I got this sense that Favreau didn't honestly know how to shoot it. Okay, okay. This is my biggest problem with the movie. Yeah. the the. Sorry, I didn't cut you off. but No, 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 no. Please. The, the camera has no interest in creating any sort of semblance of beautiful images or interesting screen pictures. And this is a problem that I think we can look out, out look at outside of the comparison to the original because it's really easy to compare this movie to the original and say, lackluster, it's not as good. This is just poor filmmaking in a vacuum. The camera has no interest in doing anything but just following the characters like it's a fucking video game and not, you know, creating any sort of depth or composition. It looks horrible. It, it, it doesn't provide any sort of scope or scale to the film. The film feels small. The cinematography was to me the, the by far the biggest sin in the movie. Yeah. The, the, like when we talk about the imagery in the film being like really uh, beautiful or striking, like it's sort of a surface level thing for me, but I also will admit that in terms of delivering those very like singularly striking images it's very lacking in that department for me. And I think a good example is when they go to the shadowy area where the hyenas are, it kind of just looks like the rest of the jungle to me. And it doesn't, it didn't really come across as like this, that we were now in a dramatically different setting because this movie doesn't really showcase the colorful nature that you could and have those distinctions within these locations. And they do a good job of making things seem photorealistic, but they then also do not take advantage of the vistas that they have uh, available to them, I think. Right, because the, the, the Pride Lands don't look, you know, verdant and lush. So when they come back to rescue them at the end, it just looks a little cloudy. Like, it doesn't look <laughs> like it was, you know, there was a horrible drought or anything. There was, like, one dead tree, and that's it. It's just, the whole movie looks like a sandbox. Talk about your fixer-upper. Um, the other thing, too, from an audio standpoint, and this was something that truly bothered me a lot, I think Hans Zimmer's score in The Lion King is an all-timer. It's one of my favorite Oscar-winning scores of all time. I totally agree with you on that. Absolutely. It might even be, I, don't, I, hes, I hesitate to say his best work, but it's definitely a personal all-time favorite of mine. And it's great to hear some new compositions. It's awesome to hear the original songs. 
what I found so weird, and I just don't understand like why they would adhere to so much to do certain sequences shot for shot, like Circle of Life or the Stampede Wilderbeast scene. There are certain things that they are really just recreating beat for beat, moment for moment, what happened in the original, just in this new format. And for the life of me, I could not understand why some of the musical cues from Hans Zimmer's score did not match up also with some of these moments. And it really, really bothered me that right when I expected, like, okay, in the original, this is when his musical cue pops in for this precise exact moment in the scene. And it just, and it didn't line up correctly. And I, I just like, I don't know. Did anyone else get that sense at times? My my biggest issue related to that was that they didn't smartly parse out where to put the famous music cues and not. I mean, it, it's in the places you expect it to be for the most part. But then they'll use humongous triumphant music keys. Like, I'm, I'm 90% sure the music that is used for Simba's Ascent of Pride Rock at the end, which is in the original, the first time you hear that music cue and it's full orchestration, they use it several times throughout the leading up to that battle sequence, which just yeah. completely mutes the impact of that moment. Yes. And there's, there's several examples of that throughout the movie with the music. Uh, it was just something that I was like, this is a no-brainer. This is proven to work. You know, you're doing other things exactly the same. Why in God's name would you not do this? Well, I mean, I would say the best thing about the, this remake is the um, is hearing the Hans Zimmer score again. And I think they knew that. So I think they were kind of leaning on that. Um, and just uh, sprinkling it <laughs> throughout more in the movie. Because there's very little like moments of silence, of just dialogue in this. Right. And then there is, okay, this is, this is where maybe I'll get a little, I might get a little flack for this. There is something from the original that makes its way into the new version, and I understand why they did it. I totally understand. But it backfired on them. James Earl Jones is a legend. There is no denying this. He created iconic voices for both Mufasa and Darth Vader and other various characters. And he's also an acclaimed stage actor. And I, I just nothing can ever be taken away from this guy ever. And I just want to put that out there because what he has done with his vocal performance as Mufasa in this version paled completely paled in comparison to his line readings, which emoted so much more gravitas, nuance, power, and emotion in the 1994 original that it just like occurred to me so many times while watching this. I feel like James L. Jones is in the booth and he is wondering in his mind while he's reading these lines, why are we doing this again? Because that's what it came off to me as so many times throughout. And especially since most of his dialogue is the exact exactly the same from exactly and yeah like you said man we all love james earl jones he is responsible for so many iconic characters and he's a great great actor but i do think that in this role you know his voice does sound 25 years older and it doesn't really have the same gravitas that it did in the original movie and i you know I think it was um, uh, Clayton Davis. I actually heard him say this when he was talking about the film. It sounded more like you were listening to Simba's grandfather than his father in the movie. And you just don't really get the same dynamic as you do and uh, that you should in this relationship. And it does, does sound like a much more 
tired and weary performance from James Earl Jones in this role, and it's just not as effective. I mean, would it have killed John Favreau to? And like I said, I understand why they did it. But now, when I put this idea out there, tell me if you don't think this just sounds better. Would it have killed him to just cast Idris Elba as Mufasa? That I mean, to be honest with you, I think that James Earl Jones being in this movie is a huge problem for me in general. Because if you are going to bring somebody back from the original movie, then why are you recasting any of the other parts? And Thank you. I, I understand that, yes, Mufasa does have an iconic voice, but you're going to tell me that Jeremy Irons doesn't have an iconic voice and yep. that we don't associate him with that character. And I just feel like you if you're going to do this, then it needs to be an all or nothing thing. And you can't cherry pick the elements that you want to keep from the original, but then say everything else is like this remake that they're trying to do. And it does kind of bother me that, one, his performance isn't as to the, up to the level that we remember it as, and also him being here is very inconsistent in terms of what they want to accomplish with this cast. And I want to be very, very clear that I understand when a remake is made that you are supposed to judge it on its own terms. And I can tell you full-heartedly that I try my hardest to do that with every single remake that I watch, 100%. However... Maybe more so than any remake I have ever seen in my entire life. This particular remake, and forget about the fact that the 1994 original is one of my favorite films of all time. Literally forget about that. This remake in particular draws, it, 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 it makes you, it forces you exactly. to draw these comparisons exactly. because of how similar it skews to the original because they are the exact same format of filmmaking. Just, it's animation. It's just one was hand-drawn, the other one is CGI, but it's still animation. And because of that, there's not much differentiation. And because of that, you are mentally forced to compare. It, I, I think it's impossible to separate these two and say, well, this one did this better, this one did this better. No, the 1994 original literally does every single thing better. There might be some things like, say, um, Billy Eichner's vocal performance that you could argue to me, oh, is just as good as, as Nathan Lane's, but it, um, you cannot sit there and tell me it's better. You know? Hell, you want to tell me that the visuals in this are better than the original? Take some stills from the 1994 original, please, for the love of God. The lushness of those colors, the beautiful quality for a 25-year-old film like that. I mean, you watch that in HD today, it still looks just as freaking good. Right, because comparing hand-drawn to CGI is apples and oranges. I'm sorry. And I know that a general audience doesn't look at it that way, but it truly is. Like, why are we treating hand-drawn animation like it's black and white filmmaking and it's like, oh, that's so old. And, right. like, there's, like, a need. People think there's a need to take the hand-drawn animation and update it to CGI nowadays. I, I don't understand that. To your point, I, I did my very best to... Um, separate what I liked uh, about this movie and or rather didn't like about this movie and view it on its own terms. And I do have uh, things that I didn't like about the movie in a vacuum. I, di I did not like the pacing. I did not like the cinematography. I did not like, for the most part, most of the voice performances. I didn't like the sound mixing. There's stuff I didn't like by itself. But like you said, this movie forces you to remember the original and doesn't do anything remember. to try to exactly to try to drive <laughs> that from your brain. So there's no it, it is a, you know, Sisyphusian task to try to not compare this to the original. And in all fairness, I think that is the 
goal of not only this movie, but all of these Disney remakes. I think that, yes, most of the time when you see a remake, you should try your best to judge it based on that, what that movie is doing and not compare it. But I think you have to make an exception for these movies because the whole point of their existence is to remind you of the original movie, is to make comparisons to that film that you saw years ago. That is the whole reason for getting made. And I think that this one in particular, it's especially difficult to forget the original because like we've been saying, it does such overt things to draw your memory back to the 94 version that to completely ignore it would not only just be impossible, but it would be against what the movie itself is trying to get you to do. Because we're not comparing uh, an adaptation of like a book or a stage show to the movie. These are those are two different mediums, and you can easily separate them. And there are different qualities to each. This is comparing an animated movie to an animated movie. Yes, and the story still has its power. The music still has its own power. There are certain elements that do carry over. The execution is what is flawed. And I understand what the filmmaker's intent was. I can also understand that maybe, maybe, there was a bit of hesitation on their part to deliver something that was totally different and wholly unique. Hence why certain shots are exactly the same. Certain beats are exactly the same. Dialogue is exactly the same. I can understand wanting to retain that out of the fear of being so different that people just watch this and they're like, this isn't The Lion King. Like, what is this? I, I understand that. I also understand, too, that it might be a business decision, obviously, of Disney trying to cash in on our own nostalgia. You think? So I, I, I mean, understand the intent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, from a business perspective, it does work for them. Like, I can't blame them for wanting right. to do it. But I also think that like every moment in this movie where I even might have been slightly entertained by what was going on in the story or with the action, all of that I had to recognize, well, that's not really what this movie is doing. I'm just remembering the movie I saw 25 years ago. And I think that's another problem that you kind of have to admit that this movie has, that even if you take away all the problems that it just has and want to enjoy elements of of things that are going on, so much of that is still tethered to the original film. And there's even the moments that you might like in this film don't really come about based on anything original that this movie is doing. Josh, you're right. This is the original movie's tethered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A pale imitation. Oh, yes. Man. It sucks because I really wanted to like this. I, I did. I, I was hesitant. But I have to say, Circle of Life disarmed me, and I was ready. I, like, opened myself up to this movie, and I generally looked over at my friend, and I was like, okay, like, I feel at ease now. I feel like I'm in good hands, and the rest of the movie's going to be good. And then once the animals started talking, and we started actually seeing the uh, vocal, I'm sorry, the um, the animation of the faces and such, which the marketing, to their credit, they hit it very, very well. <laughs> From from audience members, yeah. and for good reason why. I won't say it's horrific, like we saw in a recent uh, trailer that also dealt with uh, feline animals, but it is something about it just, it, it, like I said, subconsciously, it emotionally does not translate over. You need that human element. Think of like the greatest CGI movies you've ever seen. Even Avatar, you know, which a lot of people 
remember for its groundbreaking uh, fully CGI environments and CGI characters and stuff. There were still human actors in that movie. So subconsciously, your brain is able to make a connection to what is happening on screen. The Jungle Book was able to do that with us. Gravity, Life of Pi. This is 100% fully CGI animation. You, you, all, you all seen Final Fantasy The Spirits Within? I actually just rewatched that not too long ago. <laughs> you know, it is so freaking hard to watch that movie and make an emotional connection to what is happening on screen. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you guys noticed this at all. Maybe this was just me. But I think that there is a moment towards the end of the film uh, during the battle on Pride Rock where I, I can't even remember if it was Scar or if it was Simba, but there's like somebody in that scene where it seemed like they were starting to get a little bit more emotional. And it seemed to me that it was this one moment where the animation did go a little bit more cartoony because they were actually trying to get a little bit more emotion into that face. And I noticed it and it kind of worked for the moment because obviously they were trying to get more emotion, but then it also reminded me that, oh, yeah, if you're trying to get expressions out of these characters, you cannot have them be so photorealistic. And it was just a big, it was just yet another reminder to me of the failings of most of this film. I did not notice that, but that makes me even more sad that they had the ability to do that and chose not to. And I just want to say, too, for people that are maybe questioning what I just said a minute ago, the difference between this and something like, say, a Pixar film, which is also 100% CGI. Those movies don't ask you to believe that what you're watching is real. That's, that's the difference between this and that. This movie wants you to be convinced that this was shot for real. With its realistic, detailed, and admittedly stunning animation. They want you to believe that. But you can't. Because you know it's not. No, no. And you also cannot connect emotionally to any of these characters because they do look photorealistic. And that is always going to be a stumbling block in terms of this technology. It'll be interesting to see where the technology goes forward. Obviously, I think there is always room for improvement. I think it's always going to continuously get better. I think Lion King 2019 will always be something we look back on years from now as a milestone moment in the breakthrough of this technology. But I don't think that we will ever look back as this being superior or even a film that I I hope, I hope to God that people do not show this version over the 1994 original to their kids generations from now. I really, I genuinely do. Um, And that's no disrespect to the people that worked on this or anything of that nature. Um, I think that there is room to show the original and then this, but to do it the reverse way, I I, I don't see any reason in doing that. So, final thoughts. Great out of 10. Huh, Oscar potential. Oh boy. Josh, what final thoughts do you have on this 2019 version of The Lion King? Uh, Well... Well, first off, I kind of have two things. One Mm -hmm. is just a question. Um, Does anybody remember who Amy Sedaris played? Because I remember that they made kind of a big deal. She was playing a new character, and I could not for the life of me remember who she was in this. I think there was a bird that had one line in the uh, in Timon and Pumbaa's world. I don't. I don't remember though. (laughs) Okay, because I mean, I like Amy Sedaris. I was actually kind of 
interested in that, but then I couldn't remember anything that she did in this film, and that was disappointing. Um, the Speaking of disappointing, the last thing that I do want to mention is Beyonce, who I don't know what she's really doing in this movie other than just to be a name, because I really found out of all of the vocal performances in this film to be the one that felt the most underwhelming to me. Every line delivery of hers just felt so flat and uninteresting. And, you know, obviously she's mega talented, but as a, as like an actress, I found her to be by far the weakest addition to this cast. I mean, that moment where she confronts Simba and says, I left to find help and I found you, you know, like in the original, when they have that moment here, you're right, Josh. It, it, it falls completely flat and it pales in comparison. It, she, she too, I think, is doing something that in a vacuum, if the 1994 version never existed, and, and that's actually a, a, a pretty good way to view this movie if you want to try to. If you want to pretend like there is no comparison to be made in terms of vocal performances or the animation or anything at all, I do wonder if the 1994 version had never come out and this is what we had, I wonder how much that would skew our opinion of this movie, right? But once again, those comparisons invite themselves or forcibly, you know, put themselves onto you throughout this movie. And I can't help but compare some of these line readings. And, you know, if you ask me, okay, which one do you prefer here? Which one do you prefer there? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I, I, I prefer the, the original version over what... Beyonce is doing here and if the dialogue were changed up or something along those lines you know maybe then I could make more of a differentiation between the two the only thing that they give her in this movie Nala is they give her one extra scene where she's hiding from Scar before she leaves Pride Rock something that we don't see in the original she kind of just makes her way onto Timon and Pumbaa out of nowhere and Oh, God, obviously, well, we cast Beyonce, so we have to write a song, and they have a song that is sung, and, um, yeah, it's there, you know? The song isn't even from the perspective of a character. It's this omnipresent voice, just like Circle of Life. Right. You know? It's not casting her to play Nala, who will sing this song. It's casting Beyonce, so she will sing a song for us. Yes, and it just felt really lazy to me it it just felt like this was such obvious stunt casting and again Beyonce is enormously talented we all know that but there are skills that one can really succeed in and other ones that you might need a little more bit more guidance in and it just felt like they just said we have Beyonce and that that's where the creativity stopped and it was really disappointing that that character didn't really have a lot of emotional weight behind them based on their performance. And yeah, I, I, that was just an element that I found very um, disappointing personally. Like a lot of elements in this film, unfortunately, a lot of it just comes across as very emotionally shallow and it's got a slick sheen on top of it. But to me, all of that is masking a very hollow center that, does not really connect with you in a great emotional way. And even when it does, it does so basically just by reminding you of the original film. And to me, I I don't know if I would say this is like the worst of the Disney remakes, but it is, I think, by far the most empty one. And the one that is 
almost the least impressive despite the visuals being great. So, and I think because of all of that, I'd probably end up on this film as a three out of 10, to be honest with you. I really didn't enjoy most of this film. Oh man. All right. Cody. I don't have much more to say than I already did. Um, the cinematography is lazy. The pace is dreadful. The voice acting is okay to good at very best. Um, yeah, I'm also at a 3 out of 10. I, I was disappointed, bored, and enraged in equal parts watching this movie. Uh, I have one more note, something that we didn't talk about. Uh, can you feel the, the love tonight does not take place at night? Uh, okay, yeah. I've been seeing this a lot. It doesn't really take place at night in the original either. So that didn't bother me. Uh, there's that scene where they are like on the grass looking at each other, and it looks like it is sundown. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know. That That doesn't bug me. That feels like people looking for issues because in the original it's still very bright and colorful so it's hard to tell like there's no shot of like a, a starry sky from what i can recall i just watched it like two days ago um so that doesn't bug me but uh they could have said it at night i guess <laughs> <laughs> i particularly like the recreation of mufasa in the clouds when he comes back to uh simba in this version really yeah i actually did I didn't like it. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Clouds. <laughs> there was nothing to it. It was just clouds. I don't know. I just I, thought I, it was. I, I thought it was an impressive visual. To see some sort of lion shape or anything, but it was just clouds. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they had like lightning in there to kind yeah. of give you the outline, but the lightning never stayed long enough. And I think again, they were trying to be more "quote unquote" realistic with it. And I get what they were going for, but it just felt like. I don't know. That wasn't the way to go about it to really make an impact for me. Uh, right, because when the ghost of your dead lion father who speaks comes back, you better make sure it's realistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, Donald Glover as Simba. We didn't really touch upon this. I thought J.D. McCray, McCrary was great as young Simba. I thought Donald Glover was perfectly okay. He was okay. Yeah, he was it was fine. Like I like Donald Glover too, but I don't think that he really brought a ton to this role. He wasn't bad. Like I think that he gave as you know a decent performance, but it was nothing spectacular at all. It, it uh, yeah, he was just fine. Yeah, I would give it a four out of ten. Uh, like I said, there's certain things that carry over. It's still The Lion King at the end of the day, as far as its story goes and the music, and that goes a long way. Just the execution is, you know, as I said before, just not there. There's some impressive visuals. Some of the voice acting I, I do like in this. Others I definitely do not like at all. Uh, but let's move over now to the Oscar potential. This is a very, very interesting discussion here because I think we have all pretty much settled on the fact that this can, like Kubo and the Two Strings, compete for both visual effects and animated feature. Um, I do not think this is competing for animated feature. Period. No, I don't think Disney wants to sell the idea that this is an animated feature. And I don't even think that they'll submit it for that. I think they want people to have this feeling like this is the closest thing to live action that they can right. get. And so I think by them submitting it to be an animated feature will take away that quote unquote prestige of live action that they want for this film. So I, I think it, on the terms of what an animated feature is, it should qualify. But I do not believe Disney is going to do that for the film. I think this will be like a general tech player, but not an animated feature. Which is, I, I hope you're 
incorrect because it's a company founded on the success of stunning animation. So for them to kind of turn their back on it in that way would be such a disservice to everything they've done to get them to this point, which is, you know, done well for them so far. It's really disappointing. Yeah, well, you know, Cody, it'd be really shocking if Disney did something that benefited them you know, financially and didn't really consider any creative outlet for it. You know, it'd be a really <laughs> turning point for them. That's true. Wow. What do we think about Beyonce's song Spirit? That's okay. Mm. No, no, I mean, like, in terms of uh, competing for Oscar oh. potential. I, this, my answer is still the same. <laughs> uh, it depends like, on what the competition looks like. You I know? could totally it's see a Golden Globe nomination. To, oh, yes. It's one well, of those categories I mean, that's hard to predict until you see everything laid out before you mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the year. Uh, if they yeah, want to give Beyonce an Oscar, sure. The song branch can be really prickly sometimes. You know, they can go for the big stars that come in, and other times they kind of sniff that out of being like, oh, you just wrote a song real quick. and eh, we're not really going to go for it. Globes, definitely. I mean, Beyonce wrote a song. They're going to nominate it. So <laughs> I can see that happening. I'll be very curious to see what critics do in their awards at the end of the year for this. I mean, I, I mean it's very clear that critics... Hi. I uh, don't really like this movie uh, that much, obviously. So if it's like a weak year, which I don't think it's going to be, maybe it might pop up here and there. And if it does, I'll be very curious to see the placement. Uh, is it going to be an animated? Is it going to be in visual effects? I mean, as of right now, to be completely honest with all of you, I think I'm going to stop predicting this for a visual effects nomination because I do think that the critics uh, might not go for this at all their year-end awards and there'll be flashier more prestige titles like hypothetically say the irishman if they pull off the miraculous de-aging uh you know technology and that uh that could overshadow something like this and next thing you know we've got you know avengers uh in like four other like prestige picks like an ad astra or something like that and lion king just might not get there see i think i could understand maybe being a little bit more hesitant for a win that is a little bit more in question for me now, but I still think that a nomination is pretty secured. I mean, I mean, look, we have a lot of problems with the movie and even with the way that it is shot in some ways, but I think we all agree that the effects are pretty stunning. Yes. And I think that especially that branch doing the nominations are, that's an easy check off for them maybe the general academy might pick something else in terms of a winner but i think if you're just talking about the vfx artists i think that this is such an easy call for them to want to nominate yeah i also think it's pretty secure at this moment for a nomination um the only issue i could see is that because it is to you know it is for all intents and purposes an animated film and there's no live action component in it to compare to because usually visual effects are judged next to the actual physical real world thing that are that's also in the movie. Right. So without that element in it, it's hard to not look at this and go, well, why don't we just nominate Toy Story 4 for visual effects also, which is something I wouldn't be against. But it's not something I think that the Academy is open minded enough to do. Um so so if it doesn't happen, I think that is the reason. If it does, I would not be surprised. I'll be curious to see if, the, you know, that much of a divide, to your point, though, Cody, results in it not getting enough votes. You know, that's what I'm kind of leaning towards maybe a little bit right now, where there are people who, based on principle alone, just might fundamentally disagree with 
the way that this film is being positioned as an awards contender for these categories, you know, kind of like how people have been hesitant to nominate um, uh, motion capture performances for acting, for example. Yeah, but I also sort of feel like Lion King is going to be one of those contenders in this race in particular for visual effects that's just going to be kind of too big to ignore because this movie is going to make a ton of money. It's going to be one of the biggest hits of the year. And, you know, last year they nominated three Disney movies. So they probably have a lot of animators on this film that are kind of already in that club. And I I know that there is probably going to be some resistance to this idea that it is just an animated film and why should we nominate it for visual effects? But I feel like it has so much working for it that whatever obstacles it might come up against, I think will be easily overcome. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've said everything I needed to say. And I said it as calmly as I think I could have. <laughs> uh, Josh Parham, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Cody Derricks, where can they find you? You can find me everywhere at CodyMonster91 and check out my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. You can find us at Halloweeners Pod. And you can find me at that shadowy place over there known as Film Twitter on Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening, reviewing hopefully on iTunes, the Next Best Picture podcast. If you are not subscribing to us, you can on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us that review though. Write us five stars on iTunes. You don't have to leave a comment, but if you would, we would appreciate the feedback. And also, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening to our show. As always, we really, really appreciate it. And we will see you all next time.